I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. Now, be honest. When you think about corporate social responsibility, what comes to mind? Colleagues taking an afternoon off to build a house or paint a schoolyard. Perhaps a fundraiser to send money across the world for an emerging environmental concern. Well, if you haven't been paying attention, a massive transition has occurred in corporate social responsibility, or CSR. CSR is now more about hands-on, deeply embedded activity that not only delivers direct benefit to the city or country where corporate employees and leaders visit, but also measurable benefit accruing back to the business itself. When done right, CSR has moved from a nice-to-have, a highlight in the annual report, to a concrete business opportunity generator. Why has this transition occurred? How does it work? And specifically, how do businesses themselves benefit? One person to ask is a fellow who helps companies do it every day. Paul Benson is Senior Corporate Partnerships Development Manager at Voluntary Service Overseas. VSO works with corporations and volunteers globally to actively support and affect sustainable development goals. Since 1958, VSO has engaged over 43,000 volunteers to work on international development programs in more than 120 countries. You can find them at vsointernational.org. Paul, thanks for joining me. I recognize that the name itself is pretty self-explanatory, but what is Voluntary Service Overseas? How did it come about? Thanks, Chris. It came about in 1958 when um, a British couple called um, Alec and Moira Dixon were asked by the Bishop of Borneo to see if they could recruit some teachers to go out to Borneo to help deliver um, teacher training. And since then, it's gone from strength to strength. And we now work with skilled professional volunteers. So right across three main programming areas, which is education, livelihoods, which is helping people to um, earn a living and improve their economic position, health, which is primarily neonatal and maternal health and HIV and AIDS issues. And then also we do a lot of work. There's cross-cutting themes of gender, empowerment and climate change resilience. And the way that we work is that we're not telling people what to do. What we're doing is helping them to build up their capability and capacity to do it for themselves. So we'll work with local communities on the ground. We'll work with um, institutions and organizations going right the way up to, uh, up to government level. And as, we've, and as we've grown, we've grown the, num- the, the number of countries. We now work in uh, 24 countries across um, Africa and the Asia-Pacific Asia Pacific re- region. We employ 800 people worldwide, but most importantly, um, we rely on both private individuals who go and volunteer for up to two years to utilize their skills, but, all, but also in the crux of our conversation is that the, the skills and expertise the corporate, corporate employees have, um, ha- have to give to those projects that we, that, that we work with on the ground. So, in, indeed, let's let's talk about that aspect of it and that part of your model, working directly with uh, companies and corporations. I guess first, how, how did that evolve? How did that you know become you know a, a growing part of your effort and 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 what you do? Um, how do and how do you engage with the companies? Which, which comes first? Do you reach out to them? Do they find you? What 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 does it mean to work with companies and corporations and their employees around uh, CSR efforts? Sometimes companies will approach us. They'll find they'll 
they'll find our website or they'll, they'll have heard about us from other companies that we're, that we're working with. Uh, word, of mouth, word of mouth is very strong. Other companies is we'll make a direct approach to them because we recognize that there is, in, in the jargon, um, shared value in us working together. By, by shared value, I mean that the company has a need or an issue that needs to be addressed. We have a need and an issue to be addressed in the country. And by working together, we can actually meet both each other's needs. It's very much a partnership. Um, maybe I could give you an example yeah, of please. How, how that would work. Yeah. Um, let me give you two. One is um, in East Africa with the uh, oil and gas industry. Um, as some of your listeners may know that uh, recently there have been very large natural gas finds have been found off the coast of uh, Kenya, Tanzania and Mozambique. The oil and gas industry wants to invest in those countries to exploit the, the, those gas reserves. However, the, one of the issues that they've got is that the indigenous labor force doesn't have the skills necessary to help them actually make the most of the investment they place in that country. And if we're talking about somewhere in Tanzania where, they get, where the gas finds is in the far south of the country, and where it's really pretty undeveloped in, term, in terms of in infrastru infrastructure, there's an awful lot of work that needs to be done from building a, a liquid natural gas port, from building the infrastructure to get materials, um, get materials, people and supplies into the port and out again, uh, for building housing, for setting up health clinics, to build the entire infrastructure they need to actually um, maintain, maintain those operations. So working with them, um, so meeting, meeting representatives of those um, oil, and, oil and gas companies um, in Tanzania, having conversations, we realized that we, we, can work, we can work together because we recognize that the employment opportunities for people in living in that part of Tanzania or even this, the similar regions in uh, Mozambique and Kenya are not good. It's either subsistence agriculture or it means migrating to uh, Dar es Salaam or to other large, other large towns, which means the community dies. So what we've done with the company, because there's a huge mismatch, there is a network of training, vocational and education institutions within Tanzania, which tries to deliver vocational skills to the people. So we've been working with the oil and gas companies, the international investors, to devise a curriculum that is going to actually meet the needs of that company in establishing the infrastructure that's needed by Tanzania, Mozambique or Kenya to actually exploit those, those gas reserves and that can also, you know, going to provide income and, and, rev and revenue to Tanzania. And we work with we work with some you know we we're working with Shell we work with with with, with Exxon Mobil, um, and it and it is successful and the sort of skills that people are um, are learning we need we need welders we need electricians we need people who can act, actually uh, lay tarmac lay tarmac for roads we need people who are skilled skilled at construction um, we also need to look at the agri agriculture. Um, in, in the region, because that's where the food supply is going to come from. So this investment by the oil and gas industry is going to have a ripple effect out, outwards. It's going to have a ripple effect on the development of skills. It's going to have a ripple effect on the development of businesses that can actually supply 
these companies is going to have a ripple effect on on, develop, on developing the agriculture. So it's, a, it's an excellent uh, example, and two questions jump to mind off of it. So, so one is, um, if, am I interpreting this right? It almost becomes a business development effort for the corporations. And um, in, in my second question, and, and please, you know, attack them both uh, if you can. Um, and please don't take this th- this the wrong way, but a company like Shell, why, why does Shell need this type of help, right? A multinational, they're everywhere around the globe. Um, you know, business development in Tanzania, developing resources, training. Uh, you know, new types of employees, skilled, you know, skills in in those types of countries. Um, why why do they need help with that? Because they know about those issues in the abstract. They don't know about the practicalities. They don't know about Tanzania. They don't know about the, the, the conditions in, those, in, in the particular region of Lindi in, in, in southern Tanzania. We've been working there for a while across Tanzania. I think we've been, we've been there for 20, 25 years. We know the country very, very well. We've also got the um, institution organ, organizational con- contacts. We've got if you like, the local, the, the local expertise that Shell doesn't have. Also, we can explain to Shell why it's really important to work from the ground up rather than sort of coming in and being and working in a top-down way. The most, these business development models, um, which is a pretty good way of describing it, work effectively when the local communities are engaged when they can actually see the opportunities, they're going to have ideas as well. As well. They're going to be able to have, um, have, a signi- have a significant input. That connection with the country, that understanding of the country and of the communities, Shell doesn't necessarily have. Yeah. But that's what, that's, that's what they're get, getting from us. Also, we understand the best way, because we've been working in, ta- in education in Tanzania, for a long time, we understand the best way of delivering the curriculum that Shell needs, or, or similar, similarly situated, similarly situated country. So we've got joint expertise. I mean, we don't know exactly what the skills are that an oil and gas company needs to exploit liquid natural gas reserves, you know, in the Indian Ocean. But we, and that's what we get from Shell. But then Shell doesn't know how to deliver or how to work with those communities so they can get the best out of the communities and get the skills that they need. It's almost like a, a an HR uh, R&D effort that you've invested, you know, years into. And, and it's not you know, the, the full range of, of HR, of human resources, from uh, education to employment needs to, uh, you know, the, the, the resources and, and, you know, realities on the ground organizationally. Um, that that I hear you. A, a company like Shell may know, does know about uh, you know how to s- extract liquid, uh, you know, natural gas and and that sort of thing from the ground or from the oceans. Uh, but but you've spent the time in these communities and with the people, and that's a almost a is it a fair characterization? Almost in a human resources R and D effort that uh, you know Shell gets to access. Um, it's certainly it's certainly um, an, an R and D. Um resource that they get to access is country knowledge it's um political and institutional knowledge um it's really no we we know the country intimately we know how to deliver these programs we've been doing it for 60 years 
and that's the expertise that, that they're giving. Um, if I could sort of put another slant on HR or learning and development. Yeah, yeah, learning another, and development, yes, please. There's a very real benefit to the companies through the learning and development and training we're able to give the, co- the corporate employees. Um, it's not just a question of sending over some people, they'll work on the ground for a month, maybe sometimes up to three months. Then they go back and that's the end of it. We need people to actually engage, really engage with the issue, with the communities and the environment that they're in. We need them to actually develop their skills, their business skills and their personal skills while they're in country. We need them to exhibit changed behaviors from the time between the time they arrive in country to the t- at the time they leave. And this way, what we're actually giving back to the companies, again, is going back to this idea of shared value. We're giving company, companies um, people with a hugely developed range of skills and behaviors that they wouldn't otherwise have had just sort of attending conferences and workshops and other f- sort of forms of training, um, you know, in, in a rather dreary motel off some slip road off a motorway in the, the, the outer <laughs> fringes of a, of a local metropolis. Yes. Um, you know, they're going to have to develop self-reliance. They're going to have to develop analytical skills. They're going to have to develop a whole range of leadership competences. And that's, and that's, a, big part of, that's a big part of what we do. Um, you know, we do extensive training before people leave. We do extensive training and induction when people arrive in countries so that they understand the social and you know, the, the socio-economic background to the issues that they're, work, they're working on. We work on the security issues, you know, health, medical, visas, accommodation, you know, what to do, when to do it, what not to do, what and when not to do it. And we'll manage them, but not manage them through facilitation rather than actually sort of hand, hands-on management so that they, they, are, they are able to develop and in developing they'll be able to contribute really, um, really significant social value to the communities that we're supporting but also real business value back to their company. Yeah, back to the company itself and back to the home. I mean that totally resonates for anyone, you know, any of us who have gone through you know, learning and development modules and that sort of thing in a, in a corporate home office. And, and, and those are really valuable, right? And those, those are a, a terrific opportunity to gain new skills. And, and that's a, such a key component of any kind of corporate growth, um, today and, and the, the internal training and skills development. And, and you're right. When I talk about human resources and HR, I mean, that encompasses, uh, in my mind, uh, learning and development as well. Yeah. Uh, th- th- those skills that you just were talking about, I mean, something like self-reliance, something like being able to uh, adapt, you know, adaptability, uh, you know, being able to understand uh, different customs and different ways of doing things and, and then integrating that into a concentrated direct effort. Um, you, you can totally see how that would be directly, you know, accrue beneficially back to uh, not only the individual employee, you, you know, one's own skills, but back to the, the, the corporation and, and the corporate home office itself. Exactly. And that's what companies are so really really recognize is that the benefits come back in in into the com into the company they come back with new confidence new skills new behaviors but also new business ideas for new products new services as 
how how can the companies actually develop this market? It's another example I would give you um, is a large agri Swiss um, plant sciences company called Syngenta, which um, we just sort of approached them and they approached us at exactly the right time when they were re-evaluating the whole sort of CSR purpose and, 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 and ways of delivery, because it's no longer, just parenthetically, CSR now for, for, the, for a lot of the companies that we work with is no, is no longer about philanthropy. It's not just about giving a charity or an NGO some money, sticking a little piece in their um, annual annual report about what they've done, or us sticking an annual uh, piece in the annual, annual annual report. It's really it really is about delivering the business, um, developing the business by delivering social value within 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 a country. If you're delivering social value, you're actually building resilient. Much more resilient communities. You're building the foundations for a positive future, which means you're building stronger communities. Which means that you're actually developing a customer base, and this is what Syngenta were trying to do in Bangladesh. And that bang, 37% of the population in Bangladesh are farmers. It's an incredibly important. It's an, it's, it's an incredibly important market for 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 agri business. But Syngenta just weren't succeeding. Um, they were going in just thinking the idea is, you know, it's, it's fertilizers, pesticides and seeds. We said it's not. It's much more complicated than that. There's, it, it, the issues surrounding um, smallholder farmers are like an onion. Once you start to peel away, you know, once you dealt with one issue, there's another issue like, uh, under, underlying that, which underlies that, which underlies that. So we took out 12, um, 12 employees from Syngenta who were from all over the world and all different skills from agron agronomists, finance people, HR, learning and development, marketing. And they worked in nor northern Bangladesh. We split them into two teams, one to work with rice farmers, one to work with potato farmers. And initially they thought they're going, okay, well, you know, we'll flop them some, you know, some potato seeds and we'll show them how to uh, use pesticides. But the problem is, is that the um, the farming techniques that they're using are traditional. They've been handed down by generation. There, it's there hasn't developed at the time. The farm, the farming techniques, aren't adapting to the cl climate change issues, which are very real in Bangladesh. And Bang Bangladesh, most of Bangladesh is either at sea level or below sea level. It's a bit like, like a bit like the Netherlands. So as the you know as as waters rise, more of the more of the country gets flooded. In the coastal areas, because of the rise, rising sea levels, you've got a real problem with salination of the arable farmland, which means you can't actually grow anything, so we have to diversify them into other crops. Um, if the monsoons come, they come too late, they come too early, there's too much or too little. So it's really about starting from scratch with the farmers, so looking at what actually, what varieties of the crops were they planting, how were they farming them, how were they harvesting them, how are they, in particularly in the case of rice, how are they drying the rice? And an awful lot of them were just sort of putting the rice out by the, by the side of the road um, and giving it the odd, the odd um, moving it about so that the air gets to it. The trouble is a lorry or a truck goes by at speed that half the rice crop gets lost in the uh, slipstream of the... Uh, yeah, it must get uh, blown away, yeah. It gets blown away. 
same with potatoes and they're growing potatoes but when they're storing them they're just they're not storing them correctly so it's not because they haven't got the expertise it's not because they're, they're stupid it's because they don't know how to but if you can store the potatoes correctly it'll last longer they'll also have seed crop so we started to work with them on the at the beginning with these very very simple techniques and then what we started to do was actually to show with Syngenta, work with the farmers on getting them in, into proper value chains so that they could get a better price for their crops, not just to sell at the market down the road. And also, if we can show them how to get it, develop bargaining power by forming cooperatives, they can avoid a lot of the middlemen because then what you'll find is that you can have... A, these value chains can be incredibly long with loads of middlemen and the, and the price differential between the price that the farmer actually gets for his crop and the price that it actually ends up with, with the end user is hundreds of percent. But if we can give them the bargaining power, and this is like with some of the business expertise the Syngenta people comes in, is to show them how they can form one cooperative to development bar bargaining power, two to develop farmer centers which can be used as a focus for the learning, for the agricultural learning, that can be cascaded in, in, and, around, in and around the community. We're, improve, we're, we're increasing incomes, we're increasing sustainability, we're building those stronger communities. Now, of course, that has <coughs> some, excuse me, that has some unintended consequences. I mean, one of the things is, is because there's an increase in the crop yield, is they need to have more labour to help to help them harvest the crop, which means the farmers will employ their families, which will often mean children. So if the children are actually being used as um, to harvest crops and also to plant more crops, they're not going to school. If they're not going to school, they're not getting the education. And if they're not getting an education, it's particularly important with girls. Uh, we know that if girls go to school, they get an education, they get married later, they have children later, they have fewer children, and they actually become actually much more entrepreneurial, and they have better health. And that chain of improvement for the girls is actually being hindered by the success of the farming. So then in, in the next cohorts of um, volunteers that we sent out, that was an issue we had to, had, had to address. But this program, if we just look at it quantitatively in the numbers, I mean, we've worked with now 10,000. We've been doing this for just coming to the end of the second year with Syngenta. We sent out 48 people with um, Syngenta to work in northern Bangladesh. We worked with 10,000 farmers and incomes increased by 40%. And that, that's a conservative estimate. I mean, the actual, some of the actual numbers are, are so high that uh, we've sent it all back to be um, re-evaluated because we can't actually believe what the results are. But <laughs> the, 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 the mean is a 40% increase in income for the farmers. It's an incredible web. And, and I mean, you talk about value change, you talk about change, but, but it, you really make it clear. I mean, you, you're connecting and one wouldn't, you know, Aside from the story that you just told, you know, one wouldn't immediately connect. What's the benefits of properly drying and storing rice on the side of the road in Bangladesh? How can that? How does that connect with the uh, educational and ultimately entrepreneurial opportunities for girls in that country? 
And, and, you know, that, that you would say, well, you know, come on, Benson, there's no way to, to connect those. And, and you're really describing, uh, you know, a, a, a web in a, a connectivity chain and a value chain, um, you know, from rice through, uh, the development of, of business networks that you just described. And then what that can mean to, uh, uh, you know, freeing up, uh, children and particularly girls, I guess, is, is part of what you're saying, um, yeah. on, on the, on the labor front. Tell me, I, I want to understand as well, um, for the corporations and, and particularly for the employees, who does this? What types of employees? How would you characterize them? And, and how much of this is generational? You know, we, we hear a lot about, uh, millennials and, and younger, uh, generations and, and their, uh, I think positively worldviews and, and how they understand, at least, you know, we hear a lot about this here in the U.S. Um, you know, it may, maybe a, a, a greater, um, connectivity in, in their worldviews, but describe for me what, what type of employee does this? It depends on the company, um, if it will, and it, and it goes right, right across the company. Um, there are some companies such as um, Citibank, who particularly who we worked with on uh, working with young entrepreneurs in, in Kenya, who see this as a program for their young management, their young banking trainees. Um, get them out of um, the bank, get them out, get get them away from um, their, Bloom, their, their Bloomberg screens, and actually go and see the real world. Um, so that that's actually yes, that is the definitely your the millennial cohort that you've described. But that um, if you look at other companies, and um, see some consultancies um, and companies, is they're looking at these programs as a gateway to promotion. If you want to be promoted, if you want to be considered for partnership or for promotion, you've got to go on on these assignments because they're going to stretch you. We're really going to see what you're made of. You're going to be living in, in remote areas. You're going to be living, um, you're not going to be able to use your smartphone. Um, you're going to have in, in very intermittent connectivity. There will be power cuts. And you are actually going to go sh- shopping for your food in a local market rather than some nice air-conditioned supermarket that, that, that you're used to. Also, companies are looking to their, their older employees who are coming up for retirement saying that we've got this huge body of knowledge and expertise that's about to leave the company. How can we put that to, to good use? And also, how can we actually sort of show forthcoming retirees that there is a life after work? So that we will work with the older employees who are coming up for retirement and will come on one of our programs. And this will be a sort of um, a pathway to another future, um, a brighter future. And then they will actually decide to actually come and join us as individual volunteers. And they'll be looking at a, at a two-year placement. So we can say with some confidence that, yes, we are working with millennials. And the benefits of the company there, this is an excellent learning and development exercise. It's also about talent retention. And it's also, also about recruitment. Uh, also, by making this process competitive, most, of, most companies will use this as, comp- as being competitive as being competitive so um it gives it it gives it value and with within the company and 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 people will all apply that's why like if you like for the middle management cohorts it this it's used as a route to selection for promotion 
and then for the 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 older employees who are coming coming up for retirement, it's actually the company sort of demonstrating its commitment to its employees, but also sh- showing those employees, as I say, that there is a bright there is a bright future after retirement. Retirement retirement is not is not the end. So we we'll put a package together depending on the company and what the company wants. Um, the learning and development package that we put together is to depend on that, those cohorts. But then, if we look at the Syngenta cohorts or um, we look at the Accenture cohorts, they're going to be different a different ages, different skills, and different different countries as well. Yeah, it's fascinating how it cuts across uh, uh, generations the way you've just described. Um, it's also, frankly, inspiring. I mean, I, I think not only on the the young side. Uh, but also finding the opportunities, uh, you know, for uh, folks who have have spent time and in, in years, if not decades, in an organization and accruing knowledge and and really understanding and and maybe looking for their next thing. And this really, uh, you know, would open up a a window and a visibility uh, into opportunities that I would think you know, may may not have even crossed people's minds or maybe kind of crossed people's minds as they, you know, watch a television program or, or read a book or, or, you know, fulfill some type of interest of theirs. But they might, you know, think, well, this could, you know, I can, it, nothing realistic is ever going to come available for me. I can never actually do that. Boy, it'd be a dream. It'd be a lot of fun. But how could I, you know, I could never actually do that. And, and uh, it's very clear based on what you're saying, how you can, uh, you know, help turn that into a reality. Yeah. Um, I, I think I know the answer to this um, be, because it, it, you know, what you described does sound very, very compelling. Um, and I'm probably a little bit biased because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in, what you do and and in this type of activity. But um, how hard is the sell? When you talk with employees and and companies, um, I mean, you really are asking them to give up uh, time. You're asking them to leave their, uh, potentially their families or or their their environments for, you know, weeks at a time. Uh, You really stuck a dagger in my heart there by saying that, uh, you know, my my smartphone might not work all the time. I mean, I I started to gasp. I'm losing oxygen with that, Paul. So we might might have to negotiate on the on the smartphone thing. Um, And I'm I'm kidding, of course. Uh, But but how hard do you find the sell? Um, the important, the important thing is then when we're doing the sale is to show, first of all, to show that there is shared value. Secondly, to show that there is a real business benefit. As I say, this isn't philanthropy. This is actually driving the business. It, do, it definitely goes to, to learning, learning and development for, for the company. But also importantly is the impact they're going to have on the ground. And the key to this is impacts and I, people, people here get a bit tired of me um, bashing on about impact, but it's incredibly important. It has um, a demonstrable quantitative and qualitative impact for the communities we work with on the ground. It's incredibly important that it has an impact going back for the com- going back for the companies. And we've got the case studies that we can show um, of how how we're working with our existing partners. Most companies get it, particularly if they're working in emerging markets. It's um, more difficult to sell if a company is working either just solely domestically or um, just solely in the European market or even the North American market when it it comes to that. When they're not being challenged by the facts on the ground. 
but the companies that actually recognize that, for example, in, in Africa, there's huge entrepreneurial acti activity. There's incredible potential in to, to, to develop the people. Companies, companies recognize this. And they've been doing, and they're starting to do it for themselves. So if you talk about HSBC, you know, HSBC does it for itself. Procter and Gamble, Col Colgate, Palmolive, Johnson and Johnson, IBM ha has a very big program, and this has a sort of ripple effect. And companies start to think, well, maybe that's this is something that we should start to think about because our competitors are doing this, and that way we have some advantage. But yes, it is a very big ask. We're asking, we're going to a company saying, hey. We want your assets, maybe 12 to 15 at a time. We want them for up to three months to go and, and work in remote parts of a developing country. And we want you to pay us for that, for that, <laughs> that privilege of us, for, for, for us to use your assets. So, yes, but then then when we start to show the shared value when we start to show how it drives the business when we start to show the learning the, the learning and development um, opportunities and, and outcomes um, companies that are thinking laterally and are thinking ahead get it it yeah it, it is it's not something they're going to snap up straight away it's definitely something that they're going to go away and think about that they've got to they've got to test internally, and actually the, the most resistance that we get not so much. I mean, I can get, you know, the board to agree, and they say yes, we're going to do this. We'll sign the contract. We'll pay you the money. We'll issue the you know the edict that people are, people are going to do this. But then it's the line managers who are going to say, well, hang on a minute. You're going to take two people off my team. They're going to be out for three months. I don't know where, where they're going. Um, I've got to re restructure my team. It's going to affect all of my, my KPIs, my targets, and my business. Then I've got to reintegrate these people who've been out, out, out in the back of beyond for, for, how, for however long. I've got to reintegrate them back into the team. Then, they, then they've got to get up to speed. And that's where we work with the company to actually sort of show the benefits, to show how we actually bring the line manager into the process because we work with the line manager in setting the learning and development goals for his or her employees who are going to go in country so he or she is part of that part of that process so they can actually see the benefit that is going to come back into into the company right. but no um it's it's not it's not the easiest of sales um we have some very interesting conversations with companies, but because companies are more and more recognizing that they have a role to play in international development, it's no longer enough just to go to countries, scoop stuff out of the ground and clear off. Um, it's no longer good enough to sort of go, go, go and sell um, product A, B or, or C into, into a country and to work with a country at arm's length is because that ultimately that business will fail. The future of a company working in emerging markets is actually bound up with the future of those communities and is bound up with the, um, with the future of the, of the economic educational health prospects. And so talk to me quickly about the, about this, uh, the international development and the very points that you're making. How, how does this work 
um, align with um, and fit with the UN's sustainability goals? Oh, the, the, the UN Sustainability Development Goals, which uh, came out a couple of years ago, and there's 17 of them covering everything from an end to poverty, clean water, uh, child health, um, to work, working in partnership, are absolutely critical for most companies, for the companies that engage with this. Um, we have companies now that we're, we're talking to where they have basically totally changed their business model so that it is tied in with the sustainable development goals. And we're not talking about small businesses. And we're not talking about businesses sort of um, I don't know, making organic or organic foot salve out of some rare herb or something. We're talking about really hard-headed conglomerates who are working across these regions, who actually sort of see these sustainable development goals as actually, again, I come back to it, it's feeding into their business, it's good for their business. This isn't just, um, this is no longer an, a nice thing to do. It actually has a real, business, a real business imperative. If you can end poverty in a country, and when we're talking about poverty, I mean, we're talking people living on um, less than one euro, euro a day, less than, than, than one dollar a day. Um, that, is, that, that is real, that is real ab ab abject poverty. And poverty is not going to be good. Poverty is not good for business. You've got no market. But if you can work with organizations like VSO and actually increase the incomes and increase the life chances, increase the educational opportunities, increasing the health outcomes of people, companies are going to be able to develop a market and it's going to be good for their business and it's going to be good for their stakeholders. And it's going to be able to deliver not, not just um, a financial return on investment, it'll actually del deliver real, um, what we call a social return on investment and do deliver re real social value that, again, is going to attract, if you want to call them millennials or Generation Z or whatever the whatever we're calling um, younger, younger people these days, you, you, you need to do it. And if you want to have a successful business and a dynamic business, you need to work within those sustainable development goals because ultimately your business will fail. And Paul, just to close out, um, what's the punchline? If, if a company is interested in these efforts, they've, they've heard what you are discussing, um, what should they do to take the next step? Um, they can get, get, in, get in touch with me um, either through our website, yeah. uh, www.vsointernational.org, where there is a whole um, a little microsite um, all about our, our, our corporate programs. And they'll also benefit from being able to see a photograph of me. Um, <laughs> uh, alternatively, you can contact me directly at paul.benson at vsoint.org, and I can send them all the information that they need. Paul Benson, Senior Corporate Partnerships Development Manager at VSO, Voluntary Service Overseas. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and a fascinating uh, uh, effort and, and partnerships that you guys uh, make with companies all over the world. I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. Mm -hmm.